Transit Church. Thanks again for, for letting me come, come be with you and, and uh, preach God's Word. We're in Exodus 6 this week. We're continuing the uh, redemption series out of, out of Exodus. Um, let me, we're going to do the whole of uh, Exodus 6. I will read verses 1 through 13. I didn't tell Jeff that I was going to do that, otherwise we would have had it on the board, on the, whatever you want to call it, screen. But uh, So this is, this is Exodus 6, 1 through 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which, into which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because of the Egyptians, because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give, to, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of this land. But Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am not skilled in speech. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, gave them a charge to the sons of Israel and to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is God's word. Let me pray. Holy God, we thank you for being with us today. We pray that you would meet us in this time. Teach us uh, how to suffer well. Teach us what it means that you are with us, that you are redeeming us through suffering, and show us your son in the middle of it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So today we are talking about suffering. The first part of Exodus deals heavily with the idea of suffering and our response to it. Suffering is a universal problem. Uh, how do you define suffering? Is suffering just when something really terrible happens to somebody else? No, uh, suffering is any time that something bad happens to you from the outside, from the outside of your soul. So suffer, under that definition, suffering could be almost anything. Your, your uh, child waking up at 2.30 in the night and then 3.30 and then 4.30, that's suffering. 
Um, some of you might know about that. <laughs> so suffering, so this is a broad, what do we do in suffering? We're not talking about, this applies to everyone. On an intellectual level, suffering, especially intense suffering, is the greatest epistemological challenge that Christians face, that Christianity faces. But that is obviously not why we care about suffering, not why scripture speaks about suffering. We care about suffering because suffering hurts. We have, we have been hurt by a, falling by a fallen world, by other people. How have you been hurt? In the counseling room, suffering comes up a lot. Uh, depression is either a form of suffering or it uh, can largely be traced back to some kind of suffering. Abuse is a kind of suffering that sticks with you. It, it follows you around and every once in a while puts in the, the knife and twists it again. Betrayal, loneliness, physical pain, these are all realities which weigh heavily on our hearts and on our minds. In today's text, God responds to Moses' question from last week. Let's remember where we are. Uh, Israel is a slave in Egypt. God meets with uh, this fugitive, this murderer, who's been out uh, shepherding sheep for 40 years, Moses, and he says, hey, I'm going to free these people from slavery. And what I want you to do is go and talk to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and, and uh, make that happen. Capiche? And so eventually Moses uh, relents and goes and talks to Pharaoh. So he's, he tells Pharaoh, uh, met this guy, calls himself I am, and he wants you to let the Israelites go. Pharaoh doesn't respond all that well. In fact, he takes it as an opportunity to twist the screws of slavery on the Israelites. He takes, the, the Israelites largely were, were brickmakers in, in Egypt, and an important ingredient in bricks was straw. And so uh, Pharaoh says, you guys have to make the same amount of bricks, no straw. You got to get your own straw, and your quotas, can't, your quotas have to be met. Um, it's hard to imagine how much harder that makes the lives of the Israelites. You know, easily a hundredfold uh, harder, you know. It's bad. It's getting worse. The people reject Moses and Aaron and kind of leave them to the side. They wig out, leaving Moses feeling uh, alone with, no one in, with nothing and no one, confused about what he saw and what he heard in the desert. And so he cries out to God, the God that met him in the wilderness, what are you doing? Why, does this, why is this happening? What is God's response to the question, why is this happening? Why does this have to hurt? Now I warn you, God's response is not neat or necessarily satisfying to Western minds, maybe to, to humans in general. Maybe you're here today and you have been hurt or you've seen someone else be hurt. 
and you, you are simply mad at God or have given up on God because he doesn't deserve you after this has happened. What God says to Moses is, does not answer all of our questions, but gives us hope in a redemption through suffering. It makes promises which enter into our lives and enable us to walk through suffering with the power of God in our lives. Ultimately, God fulfills these promises by coming into our suffering in the person of Christ and leading us into that glorious future redemption. Let's get into our text. How, how does God respond to Moses' question? We can boil down the first part of God's response like this, verse 1. Uh, this suffering will end in my glory. In chapter 6, verse 1, God's initial speech basically says, what I told you at the burning bush, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to take these people from slavery, and I'm going to redeem them into freedom. What I didn't necessarily tell you is that that is going to happen in such an incredible, glorious, fantastic way that there will be no doubt of who did it. There will be no doubt that I am God, that I am the Lord. We're coming up on the ten plagues. The problem with Pharaoh is that in Egyptian culture, it was believed that Pharaoh was God incarnate. And what the Lord has in mind here is an old-fashioned showdown to, to settle the question of who is God in Egypt, and therefore, since Egypt was kind of the most powerful place in the world, who is God in the world? God, God is going to show that he is over and above and through the world and even over Egypt. He says as much in, in, in Exodus 9, 16, when he says to Pharaoh that the only reason that Pharaoh is even still living, is so that God could show his power, God's power, through him. And that, therefore, his name would be proclaimed throughout all of the earth. It's often really hard to imagine that suffering could lead to God's glory. That is not a fun thought. Even the most minute suffering rattles the foundations of, of that thought in our hearts. So why would God, what is God doing? It's kind of like Job. Satan's big attack on, to, go, to God in the book of Job was that Job only loved God because God had blessed Job. Take away all of the stuff, Job, uh, Satan says, and you take away Job's love. And God responds, okay, take it away. Take it away, and I will show you that what I have with Job, the relationship we have, transcends his stuff, transcends even the most precious, 
relationships that he has. God vindicates his greatness through the life of Job by showing that there is nothing more in Job's life than God himself. I've known a lot of people who have suffered or have known people that have suffered and simply written God off. But those who suffer and chase after God are some of the most powerful vindications of God's character, of his power, and of who he is in your life. When you suffer and chase after God, you declare with your life that he is enough to save you, and it brings him glory. I was trying to think of an, of, of an analogy, and this isn't necessarily a perfect one, but uh, maybe we'll see what you think. Um, so there is a, a teenage girl getting ready to go to the dance, right? She has, and, and she has the date of her, you know, you know the boy, Right, so she is, it is her night. And so she has her, has her dress all laid out. She's going upstairs, getting ready for the, for the dance. And then there it is, the mother of all zits, right in the middle of her face. Three hours, less, less than three hours before the dance starts. Suffering, oh my gosh, Lord Jesus, wow. Runs down to, to mom and dad, crying. How can this, what cruel world? And what does mom and dad say? Honey, you, you are more beautiful than that blemish. It is going to be okay because, look, do you believe that I love you? I believe that you are the most beautiful girl at that ball. What if, you know, typical response is, no, you don't understand, but it's right there. What if she goes, oh, that's true, and finds peace? Now, that doesn't change the fact she's going to need some makeup, but it does bring peace. And what does it do to those parents? Do you think they might feel honored, feel worthy, feel valued, feel glorified even, in that she thought enough to say, your opinion matters? It's an analogy. Um, hopefully it's clarifying. God makes another speech. Uh, it's as if God uh, sort of intuits that 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 what he that this is going to bring glory to me. He he kind of knows that that's not that's not quite going to going to be good enough. So in his next speech, what he does is he helps the the Israelites think about what is going to be helpful as we go through the experience of suffering. So what are those things? God says three things about himself, and then tells the people how they need to respond, okay? 
One, he says, one God says, who, who am I? Then he says, what have I done? Third, he says, what will I do? Last, he says, what will you do? We're going to look at all four of those. First, God tells them who he is. Verse 2, he says, God, God spoke further to Moses and said, I am the Lord. This is the divine name, the name that God met Moses in the wilderness with. He says, God says, I am, I am. I am Yahweh. He is over and in and through and above everything that ever was, is, or ever will be. The great I am says to Moses, remember my name and know that this circumstance, your life, you, is not beyond me. Second, the, the great I am tells Moses, what, what have I done? He says, I am the God of your fathers. Your fathers knew me. I cared about them. I provided for them. I made promises to them. Promises of prosperity, of security, not of slavery and oppression. He also says, I have heard you. In your experience of oppression, while you were complaining in your beds, while you were working and making bricks, I have heard you. And I remember the, the promises that I've made. After this, the Lord tells him what he will do. He says, I will deliver you. I will keep my promises. That land that I promised to your fathers, you are going to get there. I will free you from slavery. He promises prosperity, freedom, security. But more than that, God promises himself. He says, I will be your God. The great I am says that on the, on the other side and through this suffering, I will have vindication for my claim as God of gods and Lord of lords, and you will have me. The last thing that God tells Moses is, what are the people supposed to do? He says, you will know that I am God. God's end goal of arguably the entire story of the Exodus, arguably the entire story of redemption, is that God's people would know who God is. They, they would know his power, his care, his faithfulness. His, his ability to be trustworthy in the most critical, sensitive circumstances. Moses catches on, uh, at least enough to, to follow directions, and he goes and tells the, the Israelites what God has told him. So we see their reaction in verse 9. So Moses spoke all of this to the sons of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. They basically said, hey, Moses, super nice speech. But on the other hand, I really don't care. Because last time you made a speech, I had to go out and get straw for the bricks. You remember that? So you can take your, the promises of you know, the great I was or whoever you were talking to in the wilderness and forget it. I'm not interested. 
Have any of you had that response to suffering? I have. I do. Promises. You know, I don't need promises. I need results. We might not always say it out loud, but we often tell God with our actions and our feelings things like, I don't, I will believe your promises when my depression goes away, when, when I get married, when my marriage is the way that I want it to be. I don't need your presence. What I need is the pain to go away. Probably, uh, what happens more often is that the circumstances of our lives, our hurt, our suffering, just fill our vision to the point that we, we feel like we don't have even space to think about the promises and the presence of God. It's so encompassing. The hurt and the, the loneliness and the, the suffering is like this fire that you're just sitting in. You can't think about, it feels like you can't think about anything else. And it just burns and burns and burns. So what can we do? What should we do in suffering? Know that the Lord is God. What does that mean? At least in part, it means taking what we know about God taking what we know about God and evaluating our situation based on that, rather than taking our situation and making evaluations about God. It is, it is roughly that simple, and it is at least that difficult, right? So I'll say it again. We take, take, our, take what we know about God and evaluate our circumstances, rather than taking our circumstances and evaluating God. Maybe you're asking, what do I know about God? Let's look back over, over uh, God's uh, speech to Moses and take that framework, what he says is important for getting through suffering, and fill it out because the framework that he gives, we know more about who God is than the Israelites did, a lot more. So let's see what that looks like. Number one, who is God? God has many names in Scripture. They all tell us something about God. Whenever God says, I am the Lord, he is telling us something, right? I am, I am. What I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to read a, a bunch of names of God and then um, say what they mean afterwards. Think about your circumstances. Think about your hurts. And... Listen for, for the characteristics of God that speak into your life, into your heart, into your circumstances. God is the Holy One. He is perfect in all his ways. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord heals. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord fights for me. Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. He is called the shepherd, the father, the light. He is Yeshua, the God of salvation. That was Jesus' name, Yeshua, 
the God of salvation. Jesus is called many things as well, the truth and the light, the beginning and the end, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. We could go on. What should we take away from this? God is enough. Even in suffering, God is enough. In spite of your circumstances, God is enough. In spite of your feelings, God is enough. Sometimes it's all you can do to just say to yourself, God is enough, because Lord knows you don't feel it, but the truth is there, and we can, we can reach for it, grab a hold of it. I know that some of you have experienced terrible suffering, and like I said, we all experience suffering. But God is enough for all of us. He heals, he redeems, he is with you. Number two, what has God done for us? There's a big category. He has loved his people before the foundation of the world. He planned out the steps of our lives and promises good things for those who love him. God redeemed Israel out of slavery. Jesus redeems us out of our sin by dying a death he didn't deserve to redeem people who were far more concerned about the straw in their lives than about him. More than that, he sends the Holy Spirit to encourage us, empower us, and bring us through the wilderness of this life into our glorious inheritance. An inheritance not of, of, an, of an earthly land with earthly kingdoms and earthly problems, but an eternal kingdom where we will reign with Christ, where death is dead, where suffering has ended, truly ended, and will never touch anyone again. What will God do for us? He will complete the work that he began in Christ. This is future-looking. We haven't attained it yet, but... In a certain sense, all of the promises that we're waiting for have already been attained by the life, death, resurrection of Christ and our baptism into the Holy Spirit. God has won the victory over sin, death, Satan, and one of favorite, Satan's favorite tools, suffering. Our redemption is not in doubt, but we are merely waiting for its completion. So you take that, what you know about God, and you, you look back then at the straw that you have in your life, or you don't have in the Israelites' cases. Most of the, most of the people that I, that I sit down with, they know those things, right? You guys know much of that. But the problem is that the straw in, the, in their lives has, has captured their attention, has filled their vision to the point that these truths, these uh, promises, the redemption of Christ just feels like it can't matter right now in this way, in this moment, in this suffering. 
part of the process of, of, of counseling, part of the process of sanctification, of walking in faith, is reaching out and desperately trying to grasp those promises even when our feelings and our lives scream to us to give up, give in, or panic. Uh, a good, um, I, I met with a, uh, a young girl who uh, was having, having uh, deep anxiety, right? And she, uh, there, was, there was good reasons for her to be, to be anxious. She was facing some very hard uh, financial um, things in her life. She was looking at a very uncertain future. She had anxiety. Uh, after she told me her story, I, I walked through, um, okay, I just, simple, kind of simple, well, what if game? Okay, let's, let's say, what if, worst case scenario, this all happens? And we, we go down the line um, until she's sort of out of, you know, her, in, she has explained that, well, if that happens, then my life is in the pit and I have nothing. And I said, okay, what happens then? And she goes, I don't know. Or no, I said, okay, well, what, what, ha- what do you have then? What do you have then? She goes, I don't know, nothing, the promises of God. <laughs> oh, that's what she said. She goes, oh. It so happens, you know, nothing changed about her circumstances. Nothing, nothing, uh, nothing was different. But it so happened that in that moment, she sort of had relief. And uh, after that, she... She didn't feel the need to, to schedule any more appointments. She's like, I don't, I'm okay. I don't feel anxious anymore. Yeah. Things don't always happen. Things probably seldom happen quite that neatly, right? Uh, but we, we, all like, we all like the, the incredible kind of turnaround story. Things don't always happen uh, quite like that, but God's promises have power. Even if our circumstances don't don't change, we move on. So God gives Moses this great speech, and the people, but the people are freaking out and they don't listen. And I love what happens next. In verse ten, the Lord spoke to Moses, "Go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that to let the Israelites go from his land." God tells. Moses, hey, you know that thing that you did that made Pharaoh super angry, that made everybody's lives really suck and ha- made them turn on you and reject you? Go do that again. Moses is not having any of that. Uh, he, Moses answers back in the Lord's presence, if the Israelites won't listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me since I am po- a poor speaker? Verse 13, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them commands concerning both the Israelites and king of and king of Pharaoh, king Pharaoh, to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. Why why do I why do I like that? God 
is not and will not abandon his plan for redemption for the fulfillment of the promises that he has made. He says, I have a plan. It's a good plan. We're going to carry it out. So now that you have some of the things that you need to know to, get th- to walk through this suffering, now that you know that I am going to be with you and that we're going to come out on the other side, get back on that camel. We're putting one foot in front of another, and we're getting through this. I will complete the, the plan that I have for freedom, for salvation, for deliverance, for redemption. Is anybody comforted by that? I am. Understand that whenever we let a few armfuls of straw come in between us and the God of the universe, he does not let it come between him and us. God will complete his work in you. He promises. This should allow you to be really weak and vulnerable. Suffering hurts. Suffering sucks. That's okay. We should never take what, what God says and, and look at another person suffering and say, how can you possibly not be over this by now? You have what you need, so buck up and move on. Suffering hurts. It's allowed to hurt. God knows that. He's not going to be disappointed in you. He's not going to uh, abandon you. He promises to move forward with us together. We, whenever we help uh, others who are suffering, maybe you talk to a friend, we can be weak together as we pursue deliverance from suffering. The last part of our passage is, is this, uh, this genealogy. I didn't read it, but uh, we, what we see from it is it's a genealogy of Moses and Aaron. This is sort of a, almost a hard and fast stop, by the way. Uh, big transition. It's a genealogy of Moses and Aaron that, that uh, basically is, a, is a, uh, an affirmation of their authority over the people of Israel. The people of Israel never really learned how to deal with suffering, and things got easier between you know, Egypt and Canaan, but they were still hard, and the people did not respond well. They, they, they complained, they questioned Moses and Aaron and God. And so this um, genealogy is a, is a way that Moses can say, God spoke to me, and he is using me to bring all of us through to the promised land. We could say a lot about this. Uh, The thing that that I want to say is that God's authorities, the authorities that are in your life, they are there, placed by God for your good and for his glory. There is um, a reality where the people who are in authority over your life 
are, are using their authority to be oppressive, like Pharaoh, to be hurtful, whether, whether that is purposefully or just unrepentantly. In those cases, it is your right, it is your duty to live out the redemption of Christ in your life by seeking freedom. If you, if you are abused, are being abused, uh, are being hurt, there is help. There is help in this body. There is help from authorities. There is redemption out of oppression. In the vast majority of cases, the authorities in our lives, um, government authorities, bosses, church leaders, are placed there for your good and for God's glory. We should, we should act accordingly. We see this most, uh, most chiefly in Christ, right? Christ is the way. He is the head of the church. He is how we get to God. There is no other way. It's only his way through faith in his life and death and resurrection. How do you, maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know, I would be, it would be great if I, if I had love and, and peace in the middle of suffering. And I, and I want the, the promises of redemption. How you get them is by letting go of your life and laying it in the hands of Christ. Ask Christ to forgive you, and he will. Ask Christ to be Lord of your life, to be the authority over you, and he will give you all of the redemption, all of the promises that he has ever made to his people. There is no easy way to go through suffering, and until Christ comes back, life is going to be difficult some more than for others. But we have a God who has suffered for us and with us in Christ and whose promises to bring us through suffering, sanctified, glorified, and children of God. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are with us. Thank you that um, that, that matters. Thank you that you come to meet us even in the hardest circumstances. You are not far away. You are near. You hear us. You will bring us through to new life, to a gl glorious inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth. Help us to grab onto those promises in suffering. Help us to look at our circumstances based on who you are and what you have done in Christ. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.